This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Welcome back, Star Wars fans, to another episode of Coruscant Radio Underground from the ScienceFictionary.com. I'm Andrew. I'm here today with Marisha. His beautiful and most favorite wife. I mean, most favorite, like, only, but yeah. <laughs> Your most favorite person and beautiful wife. How about that? There we go. There we go. I'm so helpful. Whatever would Andrew do if his wife did not devise helpful compliments for him to <laughs> say back to her? <laughs> All right, so, and, and I, I don't know why I continue to introduce us. It, it's just us. Um, there are supposed to be other people here, but they're never here. They aren't. They're even less reliable than we are, <laughs> <laughs> which is saying something, because our, uh, our podcasting game has been fairly unreliable lately. Which is why we're recording at 2.20 in the afternoon, right. just before I go back to work. Exactly. For some reason, not having the extra people that we're, like, responsible to to show up for this show just makes me like, oh, we'll do it tomorrow. Oh, I'm in a mood today. Uh, not that I'm ever in a mood. No, never. Just every day. <laughs> hey, not every day. Only, you know, half of the days or so. <laughs> All right. Um, so I, we're going to talk a, a little bit about uh, we got a few things. We're going to talk about some some legends and uh, Star Wars legends compared to some of the new books. So we got a couple of news items. There's really not a whole lot going on news-wise, but there's a few things that there's kind of been some chatter about the, on this week. What's kind of been going on? All right. So really, the first item I had, it, it, I don't have a lot to say about it. I've not watched Black Mirror, but uh, I did have a little bit. I did have a little bit of news here on the Cassian Andor series. Um, this is actually a couple weeks old, but it's still worth mentioning. We haven't really talked about it yet. Um, Tony Gilroy has stepped down as the director for, I believe he was supposed to be the director for the first four episodes of the Cassian Andor series and has stepped down from that role. He is still writing. He still is the showrunner. But Toby Haynes from Black Mirror has taken over as the director for the show. Awesome. I mean, I only watched a couple of episodes of Black Mirror. I may or may not have just gone and watched the episodes with the actors that I knew. Because <laughs> it's an anthology show and you can do that. Um, but the ones that I did watch were really quite good. Definitely a better take on the Twilight Zone than any Twilight Zone episodes that i've seen yeah that new twilight zone I, i'm still gonna check out season two at some point but man that's that new twilight zone i watched the first two episodes and i was like all right they're kind of kind of getting it they're kind of yeah you know and the further it went the less twilight zone it became mm-hmm and it just totally and and it wasn't even the heavy handedness of it it's not like the old Twilight Zone couldn't be real heavy-handed. It definitely could be. One-arm bandit much? <laughs> right, but it just, man, it, it totally, 
you could see the twist coming a mile away, and right. that was if there was a twist at all. If you're going to and... be preachy, be clever and preachy. <laughs> right. You know, like, be tell such a compelling sermon that people are like, wow, I don't even care that you're preaching at me because you did it so well. Which, honestly, the first couple of episodes were definitely like, and here's our point, you know, which is fine. But they were really well done. So I was like, okay, you know, sermon acknowledged, good story. But the the longer it go, went, the more sermon and the less clever it got. Yeah, and it was kind of, disapp- I think the biggest disappointment in it was, is like you had a great ensemble of cast mm-hmm. members Absolutely. and you're going man you had all this talent and this is what you chose to do mm-hmm. anyway that's that's you know conversation for the other podcast another show another day uh, uh which is why we have that other podcast so right um but i don't have a lot like i said i'm not that familiar with toby haynes but um it mostly seemed to be that gilroy really wasn't up for the traveling out of country right now to, to do the filming. I mean, that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, you know, here's kind of anybody who's comfortable, you know, with tr- international travel, with work, with going to ball games, more power to them. But people like us who are still hold down at home because they either are vulnerable themselves or they are in contact with vulnerable people, you know, you have to respect that as well. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that he's staying on as the the writer and showrunner, and it'll be interesting. I'm really looking forward. I I think this, as much as I love The Mandalorian, this show's got an awful lot of potential as well. It really does. And, man, I sure do. This this article that you've got pulled up from a... Star Wars News Net. Star Wars News Net. Like the image has got, you know, uh, Cassie with that big furry jacket. I do love it. <clears throat> That's all I really wanted to mention on that. The other thing, little things were just a few hours away from the launch of Star Wars Squadrons. Yeah, there's lots of talk about it for people who play video games. We're going to have to get somebody else on this show to talk about that because... Yeah, once it's out, once we have a week or two to play it, we'll see about getting somebody else on here to talk about that with me. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it that I think that you would have any real interest at all in. We've already talked about the game. The game's exciting. It it does look a lot like something in between the Fighter Squadrons part of Battlefront and the old X-Wing games, which that's great. I hope it. I hope it all works out right. I hope they got the mechanics right. But um, one of the big things is it is going to be it's crossplay, mm-hmm. and so far I haven't seen if crossplay is optional. Oh, that'll be a big difference. If crossplay is not optional, if you have to play crossplay, mm-hmm. then this game is probably DOA. Yep. Which is unfortunate, but uh, between the cheaters on PC, the modders, and just the mechanics uh, advantages mm-hmm. that a PC player has over a console player, you're, you're looking at an extreme mismatch. So hopefully they've got... I know Respawn recently, or is in the process of implementing crossplay on Apex Legends, Supposedly, as long as you're not partied with a PC player, you won't be matched against PC players. Hopefully, 
that seems to be the way a lot of them are trying to go. But there are a few games out there that crossplay <sighs> has just about killed um, with with um, some of these issues. So really, going into it, I'm I'm happy with everything I'm seeing. Yeah, I'm still a little skeptical of the crossplay because yeah. crossplay essentially turns console players. Into fodder. into fodder for PC players. Right. I, I won't play the game very long, if that's the case, at least the PvP. And let's be honest, that's what I do. Right. Um, I will play the story probably once. once. Yeah. And then that I'm gonna, I do know. And then I'm going to play PvP. Right. And if the PvP is messed up because of crossplay, then yeah. yeah, that's just the end of that. Yeah. Um. So other little bits of news. I mean, we're we're kind of right on the front. I mean, Mandalorian's coming up fast. I did want to talk a little bit about the Mandalorian because last episode we talked about some of these possible characters who could pop up and mm-hmm. should they pop up. Right. And we talked about Boba Fett and you I said I thought Boba Fett was going to show up this season. Mm-hmm. And you said that you thought eventually, probably not this season. It looks like it's happening. I've been wrong before. Well, I mean, that's it's not, not my, my point. Is not that that you you were wrong, and it's possible that because you're a smart man and would never make that <laughs> point about your wife. <laughs> but my my point is that it, it does look like we're getting Boba Fett, and so with that being said, what do you think about? Are you excited that Boba Fett it, that it appears Boba Fett is going to show up? I mean, honestly, at this point. I feel like Dave Filoni and John Favreau have done such a masterful job with The Mandalorian. I'm excited for whatever they come out with. Yeah. If if they told me he's going to pull in, I don't know, some kind of weird fish alien storyline, I would be like, all right, let's see it. Because I think that um, I just don't see any reason not to expect whatever they pull out to be great. Like a Mon Cala love story. Or... Mon Cala loves, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that would be interesting. This love boat, but sat on. With the the, the Mon Cala and the, what are the other ones? The Quarren. The Quarren, yeah. Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> In space. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I- at this point, whatever Fav- I've got a lot of confidence in Favreau and Filoni. Absolutely, um, you know Filoni has you know as much as I really like Dave Filoni. Filoni does sometimes go wandering off on paths that you're like, what, what are we doing here, Dave? Um, I, I think that with Favreau being the showrunner, that's a lot less likely to happen. Mm-hmm. But. They seem to be a perfect marriage of storytelling and storytelling materials. Yeah. You know, like, I feel like Filoni has all the raw information and a really just sort of giant view of lore. And Favreau just has a really uncanny sense of what makes a good story. Right. It's like you want to make a Lord of the Rings movie and you've got Christopher Tolkien sitting there. Mm-hmm. guiding you along the way. Right. Should Christopher Tolkien be writing the screenplay? Probably not. Of course not. Obviously not at this point. But even when he was still alive. Now, speaking of 
a movie like the ghost writer is the ghost, right? <laughs> the, maybe that's the real thing that's going on. I, I'm sorry, this is getting very weird. Never mind about all of that. Um, How much caffeine did you have before we started? <laughs> a bit. I, ha- I had a pretty substantial headache and I was trying to kill it. And the headache is gone, but like my energy level is about 300% my typical <laughs> energy level. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, Boba Fett, I still contend, and I'm not going to go back into it, but my contention has always been that if you're going to, if you're going to somehow bring Boba Fett back into the conversation, mm-hmm. that because of the past lore, the way they've set up exactly who the Fets were, we, we, mm-hmm. we have this mystery of were they really Mandalorians, were they not? They, they kind of claim to be, they wear the armor, but the, 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 the Mandalorians in power at the time say they're not Mandalorians. Right. And so we've got all these questions, and I've always contended that if, if what we're telling is this grand story of the Mandalorians, what has happened to the Mandalorians, which mm-hmm. I believe that is part of the backdrop for this story, mm-hmm. is the Mandalorians as a whole. Otherwise, why bring in the armor and this clan and all these other things? Um, this is the perfect place to answer the question of who the Fets are. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what happened to Boba Fett? I still think that Fennec Shan's coming back. I I think so, too. Um, there were some rumors. Now, as we get closer to release, there's been less chatter about that. So I, I don't know what Because that everybody started talking about Boba Fett. <laughs> everybody's way less interested. Oh, yeah, because now yeah. everybody's convinced that Boba Fett and Sabine Wren are going to show up in this. And <clears throat> honestly, I still think Sabine makes a ton of sense, but I think that at some point, I hope they give us some answer as to what happened to Bo-Katan. Right. Uh, you know... There's a few other Mandalorians that I would say let, that we needed answers about before we get answers about Sabine. Well, and because here's the thing about Sabine. I'm not convinced that they want to bring in a character that I think that Dave Filoni might still want to use in a completely different setting. The only The only thing there, I would say, is that we have rumored Ahsoka and Sabine... Mm-hmm. That's two of Dave's pet characters. Mm-hmm. We also suddenly, because of an actor, whether he's just messing with everybody or not, the possibility that someone has cast Ezra Bridger. Yeah, he's def like if it's not true, he's definitely having lots of fun making the internet believe that it is. Right. So. If those, I mean, those are Dave's characters. I mean, he has some right. others, obviously, but I mean, those three. Yeah. I, so th- that's spawning an awful lot of talk about the coming of a live action Rebel spinoff. You know, and we had rumors a year ago mm-hmm. about a sequel series to the to Star Wars Rebels. Yep. And you know it would it would make sense if a lot of this chatter that people assume is about the Mandalorian is actually casting for a completely different project. Yes, but it's possible, you know, these series it makes perfect sense 
to use these series as a backdoor to reintroduce mm-hmm. characters to set them off on their own story. Yeah, well, especially for... This will be a good place to introduce these characters to an audience that is more likely to watch The Mandalorian or any other live-action shows than they were to watch cartoons. Because a lot of people still feel like they're too adult for cartoons. Right, but is that a problem if you're going to do a live-action Rebel spinoff? How do you do that in such a way that doesn't require people who don't watch animated stuff to go back and watch Rebels to understand how we got here. I mean, I think you just introduced them as characters in in The Mandalorian. You know, you just sort of introduced them as kind of side characters that obviously have a backstory, but you don't have to know the backstory to understand their part in The Mandalorian. Right, but as far as a Rebel spinoff... If you just we... make it about... A quest, you know, kind of like the we're looking for Luke Skywalker. I I get that. But I mean, we're talking if we're talking in this span of time after Return of the Jedi, then we have to for people that are unaware, especially with character, you know, Hera, Sabine, those characters, whatever. But to reintroduce a character like Ezra Bridger, who at this point presumably is a full fledged Jedi Knight. Right. That kind of throws some things in question as mm-hmm. to like what you can do with him. Kill him. <laughs> um, or maybe they just stay in the unknown regions. Maybe this story, maybe they just are going to be off in the unknown regions until after um, the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And I think that makes the most sense as far as the wider universe story. Um, because having really powerful Jedi, which Ezra is is no, I mean, he, he's a legit Jedi by the time we see him. You know, he's got significant powers, even as a, as a Padawan by the time we see him at the end of Rebels. Mm-hmm. So I think reintroducing him into the main galaxy is going to have issues. So I think that you're going to have to see him off somewhere else in a completely different, I mean, it's a big universe. You see him off somewhere else. There is a big time gap here. Yeah. And there really isn't an issue with reintroducing these powerful Jedi in the interim. Right. But they have to be gone again. Right. By the time the first order really rises to power. Maybe they just go hop off into Chiss world. By the time the First Order gets back. Maybe there's... The thing is, there are going to be a lot of, you know, huge, massive, even galaxy-wide catastrophes in any given time, right? So they can just go off and deal with a different galaxy's catastrophes. We've got, you know, maybe we bring the space whales back in and we get the magic, you know, hopping between galaxies instead of just systems. Right. Yeah, I mean... I, I still have no real issue with there being other Jedi out there. And uh, I mentioned this last time as I actually think it's far more interesting to think that they're instead of that, we've gone back to an older school of thought on training Jedi where we don't have this one, you know, one school, this one temple on Coruscant mm-hmm. that these Jedi are, are training under different masters 
spread across the, the galaxy mm-hmm. and potentially even in the unknown regions or wild space or, mm-hmm. you know, the, these other areas where we really haven't ventured much. And because it makes sense that they're, they're still underground to some extent and that yep. they, that they maybe see the, the hazards of putting all, you know, one central source of authority Mm-hmm. in one central temple once the temple was wiped out so quickly and easily. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, looking at real world history, you know, you look at things like the Reformation and you see that all of a sudden after you decentralize Christianity, all of a sudden things get a lot messier and a lot harder to trace. Not that there's not a whole lot of drama with with the one church for the first 1,500 years, Um at least one church in Western Europe. That's mm-hmm. not completely accurate. There's definitely your your other traditions. But as far as kind of your mainstream Catholic Christianity, once the Reformation happens, all of a sudden things get way messier, way harder to pin down, and way harder, way harder to stamp out because as many brands of, you know, Christianity as you want, you can find somebody doing it. Right. And you find lots of different... Like you said, lots of people who are much more interested in kind of doing their religion on a small scale, you know, you start to see things like, I mean, so maybe you've got the equivalent of Amish Jedi, you know, they're not interested in the galaxy at large, they're interested in doing their own thing. They don't really deal with big affairs, they just sort of do, that's part of their creed. Uh, And that could make a really interesting story, is a group of Jedi whose creed is basically non-violence and non-confrontation they they don't do other people's conflicts they just sort of have their own little doctrine of us you know isolationism right um which doesn't i mean yeah i mean it's an interesting concept um one that i don't think works with who the jedi are yeah but you can make that argument that it doesn't work that well with what christianity is either but it certainly exists right um so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think there are a number of ways you can do it, but um, I don't know. I'm I still remain less convinced that one. I just I don't buy that 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 we're getting Sabine Wren in this season of The Mandalorian. I don't. One, think... there were too many big name characters. Absolutely, rumored. yes. It's like it can't become the what major character <laughs> from another show is, or movie is going to show up this week's show. And I think we saw the hazards of that in the sequel trilogy. It's like, ooh, famous character, famous character, famous character. And all of a sudden, nobody cares about Poe and Ray and Finn because there's Luke Skywalker, which is right. why they had a very minimal amount of main of original characters. Well, and let's not, I mean, the amount of screen time Harrison Ford had in The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Like, you're talking about a guy, and we've talked about this before. We talked about this some with Roe last week on the Science Fictionary podcast when we were talking Indiana Jones. You're putting a man on screen who just outshines everyone else mm-hmm. every time he's on screen. Absolutely. No matter what his role, whether he's main character or not, he's one of the greatest actors that has ever existed, that's mm-hmm. ever been on, on the big screen, and he just outshines everybody. He mm-hmm. overshadows everybody, and... So you you just have this this giant figure that just dominates the screen, mm-hmm. and 
And then you're going, well, why am I supposed to care about this new character? Because, Because not only is it Harrison Ford, it's since forever, every time a poll is run on who is your favorite Star Wars character, now granted that his... With so many new characters coming in, that's slowly changing. But especially if you go back to the like the Mm nineties and find a poll, yeah, it's always Han Solo, Mm -hmm. always. Yeah, it's always listed as the favorite character, and and it's not close. Right, Luke Skywalker was usually a distant second. In those polls. And I think that that's because the guy that's a, a little bit more that that roguish charm just is more. That's what people want to see themselves as. Everybody knows that they should want to be Luke Skywalker, but they really want to be Han Solo. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, like everybody's like, "Oh, I should want to be noble and upstanding and always do the right thing." But Han does. But but he's, he's still just a little bit. But he's so much more cocky and, about it. Right. <laughs> everyone knows that they should want to be humble and, you know, but no, everyone really wants to be a smart ass. Even those of us who are not. Man, I always wanted to, like, have those quick comebacks. But no. I, I Hey, I'm really good at comebacks about three hours later. Right. <laughs> but it, it's, it's one of those things, and, and I always compare it to what Mark Twain said about pirates. Right. You know, if we always thought if we were good enough that God would permit us to be pirates. Right. It's that exact same thought. It's this, that's what makes us love Han Solo. Mm -hmm. It's what makes us love characters like Jack Sparrow. Right. I mean, it's like, you never, I mean, it's like Jack, like, he's like, is he the good guy? He's the bad guy? A little bit of both. In fact, I'm pretty sure that question has floated a couple of times. Whose side is Jack on? (laughs) Right. No one knows. Um, So... It's it's that's what draws us to those characters, and so not only are you putting Harrison Ford there, mm-hmm. you're also bringing in the most beloved Star Wars character of all time, really, right? And putting him front and center, and then exp- and then saying, "Now love these new characters," and we're going right. to put Han Solo, right? And not that I didn't love the new characters, I did, but it's it, but it, it makes it harder. It, it, it makes, makes it, it harder you because you don't care more about them than you care about Han Solo, right? And then they killed him. I was so traumatized. I think I cried when they killed Han Solo. Uh, I, I, we did tell the kids before we went to see the movie. We're like, hey, you need to know going in before, because I like I didn't want to deal with the fallout of But because Han <laughs> was that, such a yeah. big character, you in some ways you can make, he's clearly not the main character of that story. Right. But you could make an argument that he is, that it's the final chapter of Han Solo's story. Yeah. That he's now this... He's gone from this rogue who's not really sure what he believes about the galaxy. Right. Except that he trusts himself, he trusts his blaster, and he trusts Mm -hmm. Chewbacca. Right. To this true believer. Right. Who had a family, Mm -hmm. and and we see how he he goes out. And Mm -hmm. so you can make an argument that Han Solo is the main character of The Force Awakens. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And you run that risk of doing the same thing to the Mandalorian. If it's like Thrawn this week, Ezra next week, and Ahsoka the Ahsoka next, Ahsoka the next, the, yeah. Then all of a sudden, and not that these these characters have done so well by themselves, they don't need to be propped up by every beloved character in the franchise. They don't. 
Right. And if they start bringing in every beloved character in the franchise, I think that that is the quickest and easiest way to ruin the show. Well, right. It, it's like, <clears throat> I always think about that, like the old, the, the first real run of Batman movies, mm-hmm. uh, the, the 90s Batman movies. The, the They had things about them that were wonderful. Uh, they were wonderful pictures of the world of Gotham. That Batmobile is great. Uh, the Tim Burton Batman, the Tim Burton Batman movie, still in a lot of ways remains one of the most iconic mm-hmm. pictures of Batman. Yep. But those movies devolved as they went into how many big name stars could we pack on screen? Right. It became less and less about telling a good story, and it's like here's Jim Carrey as the Riddler, and here's here's Arnold Schwarzenegger as freeze. And here, you know, it's, it became so much less about the story and more about putting as many big names on screen. Now, of course we kind of live in an era now where it used to be that directors sold movies, right? Like the next great film from Steven Spielberg that just doesn't carry the weight it used to carry. No, we have all these people that come out of nowhere and produce amazing movies now right. i mean of course you do have a few people i mean people will still go see a movie because steven spielberg directed it but not not like it used to be it used right. to be that that's all you had to say to sell a movie is the here's the next movie from spielberg or george lucas i mean that's how they conned people into seeing howard the you know <laughs> howard the duck, howard the duck right <laughs> um so you know you and, and then there was this stretch of time, and, and really the entirety of the history of film is people would go to see certain actors. You know, the new, the next couple of films, definitely, the, that was the selling point from the beginning, really. Yeah. But, the, you know, then, then it's like, so it was directors and then actors. It's like, I mean, even in the 80s, 90s, it was like the next Harrison Ford movie. Hey, everybody's going to go see that. Even Kevin Costner who hasn't made, truthfully, that many good movies, but everybody went to see the next Kevin Costner movie. So you, you've always had, you know, you've had that, and that's just become so much less important to people. Yeah. But you do still risk, every time you bring in some big pre-existing character, you risk them overshadowing your main character. Absolutely. And so that has to be done carefully, Mm-hmm. And with a lot of consideration to how they fit in the story, I think it makes perfect sense I, for for some of these characters to show up. And I right. think that Ahsoka and Sabine, because they we last saw them together, mm-hmm. actually make a tremendous amount of sense for this right. story because this story is about two groups of people who are now underground, right? And. That's the, you know, the being the Jedi and the Mandalorians. They both exist in secret in a lot mm-hmm. of ways now. Right. And so if we're, we're telling this story of like of these groups of people in hiding and, and possibly, I hope, the emergence from hiding. Right. Then those two make an incredible amount of sense to show up. I just don't know if that's what we're getting yet. Right. But all that really kind of, we kind of got sidetracked there, but... One of the we kind of want to talk about something related today, and that was um, 
you were remarking the other day about how they keep drawing inspiration from previous Star Wars material for characters and places and story. But all that inspiration is coming from what is now Legends yep. with very little inspiration being drawn from the new Star Wars books, the new canon of, of Star Wars comics and novels. It's so bizarre. In fact, I think the inspiration was someone was speculating that the Sasha Banks character was going to be uh, one of the acolytes of, be of the Beyond or acolytes. Acolytes of the Beyond. Acolyte the be of the Beyond, yeah. Okay. Acolytes of the Beyond. And you said, no, that's not going to be it. And I it was like, well, of course not, because they never use their own creations to pull in to movies. And you know, kind of the more we talked about it, the more it became clear, you know, they, they pulled in Thrawn, they've pulled in lots of details, you know, names and things like that from legends, but people are always getting, oh, they're going to bring in um, uh, Ray Sloan, you know, the, I mean, literally every single African-American woman that has showed up in any sort of promotional material for star wars for ever since those books came out people have been like ray sloan ray sloan nope right yeah no ray sloan should have been done and if she was going to be done she should have that should have occurred in the sequel trilogy yep uh, they could still bring her in they could i mean they could bring her in and what's going on in the mandalorian but the truth of the matter is is that other than her popping up in this new video game, mm -hmm. they've really shown no indication that they that they're going to use that character. And I mean, they don't. It's a character they don't necessarily need to use, but it's an existing character that a lot of people are excited about seeing. So mm -hmm. why not? But things like the acolytes of the beyond. My contention is that while we are enjoying some of these novels from the new canon. Mm -hmm that most of them are, we have a couple of Ahsoka books, mm -hmm. a couple of Padme books, mm -hmm. um, the Leia book, the Thrawn books. We're not, a, we're not really like, how many books about new characters really exist? I mean, there are a few, the Force Collector, Lost yep. Stars. You're not doing Lost Stars because Lost Stars occurs it's just an overlap. It's another perspective on the events of the original trilogy. Right. I don't think we'll ever see anything done with those characters beyond novels. And that and that's okay with those. But when you really look across it, I mean, you've got the people from Inferno Squad who we've done stuff with in games. Um, you've got the Alphabet Squadron folks who presumably will at most show up in games. Mm-hmm. My contention is is that the new characters and the new characters are not that interesting. So the ones that other than I mean I found law the characters from Lost Stars to be great. Mm -hmm. I don't because of what that story is. I really don't see those being characters that we need more from. Right. I think that they've served their purpose. Right. Maybe a sequel book, but but like you said, it's a different perspective of the same story. Right. Um. You know, I feel like, do we think that maybe the the people who are making the 
TV and movie decisions are just more familiar with Legends material than they are with anything being written. Because it has become clear that, for example, whenever they cast Holdo, right, for um, The Last Jedi, Laura Dern didn't even know until press tour that there was information about her characters in books. Right. Uh, my, yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, the Legends material's been around a lot longer, and a lot of these movie makers are roughly my age. They were reading these books when I was reading these books. Uh, they're, you know, those characters from those, in those places, but I'm, I'm going to also, I'm also going to just throw this out there. The writers that wrote, I, and I'm, I'm going to say this with a caveat, that a, there are a lot of books in Legends that are just terrible, mm-hmm. terrible, terrible books that no one should ever bother reading. Right. But your core of your Legends books were written by far superior writers to the people writing today's new canon. The, the only person that even... I mean, you've got Christy Golden, who's done very limited... Uh, new canon stuff, but was but she's up there. Claudia Gray is really the only one that I would put up there with the writers from the from the old EU, the old expanded universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only other one is I mean, you've got you've got Timothy Zahn who was writing then and writing now, and is probably still the best overall writer that has ever written Star Wars. He's definitely the most. Man, that man is one of the most knowledgeable Star Wars people ever. Yeah. But, but he's done something very intelligent with his, and that he knows that his characters, particularly Thrawn, is not real likely to... Sh- I don't think Thrawn's real likely to ever show up in live-action stuff. And um, I mean, I think Filoni may do something with him down the road, but he has distanced himself. Everybody else is trying to write stuff around the core story, I mm-hmm. think, in hopes of getting their characters included. And he's gone and done the opposite and pulled his characters as far away from the core story as he can and is telling new stuff where he can go off and tell his own story without the hindrance of what else is going on in the galaxy during this time. Which is ironically kind of what he originally did when he wrote Heir to the Empire. Right? He was just sort of like, here's this information. I'm going to just tell a story. And, you know. Right. Well, I mean, when he wrote the original story, it was kind of the Wild West. And that's his words. Right. That, you know, there were very few rules. Right. As to what he could and couldn't do when they brought him in to write a Star Wars book. Right. They basically, like, limited the era he could tell it in. Mm-hmm. And which characters he could and couldn't use, and just turned him loose. So, but basically, what he's done is gone and created his new wild, old new wild west, where he can go right, right. You know, off in the Chiss world, right. And that's that's what he did. He created this new place where he can go write the story he wants to write mm-hmm. without hindrance of. And I think that's honestly, I think that a lot of those original expanded universe books were written in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. There were no movies to contend with. You had the right. original trilogy. Right. There were and, no TV and you shows. And you couldn't write before it. Mm-hmm. You just had this span of time after Return of the Jedi where we're telling stories. And 
you know, there there were there were rules. You couldn't kill certain characters, but the rules were were way way less complicated. Right. Now everybody is getting hired to write a book set at a very specific time and place mm-hmm. with all of these hoops that you've got to jump through. And right. I think that I think in a lot of ways they're hindering their writers. Yeah. By restricting the freedom and, and almost hemming them in to where they can't make creative the, decisions. Right. You know, and we've kind of it's it's interesting to kind of speculate if the issue is the current writers or just the current kind of tightening of restrictions of like you have to write this story, you know, as opposed to a much more general write about Star Wars. Um, you know, and some people thrive on those kinds of parameters, but most people don't. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing, though, about uh, Timothy Zahn is they have pulled aspects of Timothy Zahn's books from back in the day, but they still haven't, like, people are like, ooh, Eli Vanto, we're going to see Eli Vanto. Nope. We haven't seen any of Thrawn's new characters. Mm-hmm. Um, we've the only th- characters that we've seen have been characters that he, you know, from Rebels. He he wrote about Price and you know different things like that. But we haven't even seen any of Zahn's new characters in any new media. So, so it's not just that the. Well, I think Zahn is kind of doing something a little tricky for people making TV shows and movies with some of his new characters. How's that? He keeps sending them to the Chiss homeworld. <laughs> That's true. You know, things set before, you know, things that are set during the time of Rebels, he keeps sending those characters to out to be with the Chiss fleet. That's true. So in some ways, I think that he is intentionally pulling his characters aside so that once they decide what they want to do with Thrawn in the future, those characters are already all out there and freed up. Right. So they can be, you know, and I've heard authors talk about um, writing for Star Wars. It's like, you know, the thing is, once you get done with them, they're not yours anymore. They're Lucasfilms. And I think that he has found a way where it doesn't fully protect his characters, but it makes it difficult because you're going to have to explain why they're back. Yeah, that's a good point. And and I, I I think that's what Timothy Zahn has going on there is that he has found a little bit of a way to protect his characters. We should ask him at DragonCon next time. Right. <laughs> so are you intentionally sending all your characters far, far away where Lucasfilm can't ever use them for anything except one of your books? <laughs> um, to which he would probably just laugh. Yeah. He probably would answer that. He would say, I don't have, but, I don't have any comment on that. So, so here's kind of where I'm at. You have the characters that have been created for, for Inferno Squad, which was created for a book, I mean, for a movie, which was created for For a video video game, game. but does have two novels. Right. And then you have the characters from Alphabet Squadron. Okay. And then you have the characters from the Wendig series. Those are the core of our new characters who might be in a pool Mm -hmm. of people to be drawn into future stories. Mm -hmm. But... I would say that overall, the ones that have the largest chance of being drawn into new stories are the ones from the Wendig books. I mean, that's where the Acolytes of the Beyond come from, right? Right. 
That's you know that's where Ray Sloan comes from. Mm -hmm. That's where there's a number of characters in those books. That's uh, Cobb Vanth, but they're not. They could you know they may draw those in, but so far we've seen way more. Especially if you look at things like the Mandalorian, mm -hmm. they're drawing from the expanded universe. They're drawing from legends. Yeah. Even look at the sequel trilogy. Just kind of the the basis for what the sequel trilogy is. It's a I would say a, a poor retelling of, but is a sort of retelling of Heir to the Empire. Yeah, in a lot of ways. You know, you have this this new evil force user commanding or, or with a you know in charge of a fleet. A fleet headed by Thrawn that reemerges from wild space or the unknown regions or somewhere and declares war on the the New Republic. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the story. That is The Force Awakens. Or at least something that happens before The Force Awakens starts. Right. It's this, it's, you know, it's it's not that different. And so, and, and all that, of course, leads to the cloned emperor and, and all these things. So, even the, even the the new movies are drawing heavily from legends, and we always knew they would do that. But the real question is: is why are they not drawing inspiration from their own canon material? Right. And maybe it's because the canon material is theoretically more locked in, more protected. They can't take as many liberties with it. They can't just sort of be like, and here's a loose concept that we're going to retell. Maybe it's easier to just draw inspiration from legends where you can just sort of cherry pick the things you like. Um, but, I mean, the only exception I can think of is Holdo, who was previously a character in the Leia novel, and then they um, used her name, at least, in in the movie. But even then, they didn't really connect the character. She's not the only one. Snap Wexley, they did use Snap Wexley from... Oh, he wasn't a big character in Force Awakens, but he was definitely in Force Awakens. Did the Aftermath trilogy start after Force Awakens? Force Awakens? I mean, it may have been like the road to the Force Awakens, but it was definitely... The character was created for the... But yeah, so there, there's not a lot of example of them drawing stuff over. And when they have, they've kind of not done well about making a lot of continuity you know, and how, how the, the characters are handled, at least in the case of Holdo. Right. So, yeah, it's an interesting thought. Now, some of that is a lot of the canon material are characters that have appeared on screen first, and then somebody said, oh, yeah, go write a book about this character. Right. It's just fleshing out. So we're, we're not getting a lot of... I would say that we're the old expanded universe created, broadened the galaxy. Yeah. And I would say that that may be the biggest difference between them is they were creating. They were creating new worlds and new new characters and uh, new ideas about what the Force could be and, mm -hmm. and all these things where new the new material is doing very little creating of its own. Because we have to leave options open for new projects and we have to make sure that it all ties up neatly enough. Right. So, I mean, I guess it's just part of the beast whenever you have this giant sprawling 
universe that you intend to continue making movies and TV shows in forever, you want to make sure you don't step all over yourself and have lots of contradictions like the old EU did. Correct. But I think that maybe part of what has been sacrificed on the altar of continuity is creativity. Right. I mean, we we saw that in um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? There was a lot of, whenever they were really trying to, whenever they decided to really branch out and kind of do different things, they kind of had to break the continuity. Right. And so, yeah, it seems like, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, people are enjoying, people are buying the novel, so obviously you're going to keep making them. But it does seem like the new books are just less, in a lot of ways, they feel less meaningful than the expanded universe ever did. Now, part of that is because the expanded universe gave us Star Wars when there was no other Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was it was Star Wars. It was the, as far as you knew, the only Star Wars you were going to get. Now it's like, I mean, it's just a book. We're going to get a movie again next year. Right. I mean, at least that used to be what we said. It's not what we say anymore because we don't know if we'll ever get another, <laughs> any kind of movie again. <laughs> but ultimately, would do you think that it would be beneficial to Lucasfilm to have some characters that originate from books that move into not just like show up and you're just kind of paying lip service like with Holdo, but to show to have a character created in a book that becomes a major player in either a TV series or movies, or do we think we'll ever see Star Wars characters created that way? I think that it would be really... I think it would be great. I think that that would really help sell the these stories are important narrative that Lucasfilm has been pushing about books. Um, because in spite of the fact that a lot of people um, kind of on the story group and things are really insistent that it doesn't matter if it's canon or not, it do, you know, whatever. The fact is that nerds like continuity. And, you know, even though we've just said, or I just said that continuity can kind of be the bane of creativity. The fact is people like, you know, to be able to see a character like, oh, I read that book. So I have background information about this new important character. I mean, it just seems like a waste. They're, they, they're hiring some really talented people to create some really compelling characters. I mean, there's always going to be hits or misses whenever you're putting out as many books a year as Lucasfilm is, but they are hiring some really talented people. And I think that they would do well to allow, especially how, what better way is there to kind of make a, what is it, a soft trial? A, what is it? That, um, you know what I'm talking about? Um, what better way is there to, try out a character and see how it plays with the audience than to have a character in a book that has been really popular with audiences and then be like, ha ha, now make a TV show about this character. Right. And, and you brought this up last time. It's like, there are people out there. I see a growing number of people that don't like Boba Fett. Right. Now, 
And I still contend that if you take Empire Strikes Back Boba Fett, he's one of the biggest badasses in all of Star Wars. Right until he falls down but that Sarlacc in pit. In Return of the Jedi, you kind of made him a joke. Mm-hmm. You, you had him go out way too easy. Yep. Uh, without really doing anything. So... Boba Fett was popular because of the EU books. Right. That's why. And, and that's what you were pointing out a couple of weeks ago is Boba Fett wasn't the big deal that he was. That people love Boba Fett. There, you can find so many people out there that love Boba Fett. I mean, there's a whole... I mean, you go find the Mandalorian merch. I mean, that's all because of Boba Fett. Absolutely. And so... But not just because of Empire Strikes Back, Boba Fett. Because of what? The expanded universe. Absolutely. It, it was the expanded universe. It was the great stories told about Boba Fett in the expanded universe that turned that character into who he is. And why I think that, yeah, I think we're going to see more Boba Fett. Because despite the fact that some people don't like Boba Fett and write Boba Fett off as a bad character or an overrated character, mm-hmm. he he's... A really big deal in the expanded universe. And I think that they are going to bring back that aspect because he's too popular with people like you to just write him off. And I think that they need to bring in all of us non-EU fans into, and this is why Boba Fett is so cool and why you should love him too. Yeah. All right. So I... I think it's kind of might this might be an abrupt ending, but I think that's where we're going to wrap up for today. Unless you had anything else you wanted to add, because Andrew has an appointment. True. <laughs> no, I think I'm about out of things to say. I think we kind of covered it all. So, to sum up, Lucasfilm should let their authors have more creative control because it makes for better stories. And also, they should bring some of those characters into movies, TV shows, because many more people are going to see them right. in these forms. Now, I guess I, I do need to mention this, just to be fair, mm-hmm. is I do think that the, that Lucasfilm and probably the writers have probably advocated for this. I do think that they have seen kind of the error that I think they've made with the new canon. And don't get me wrong, I, I like some of the new canon books. Some of them are great. Mm-hmm. But they feel a little bit too constrained. Mm-hmm. The new, the High Republic stuff that's coming yep. does seem to me to be them admitting that there's been a problem with lack of freedom for the writers. I think so. And I'm excited to see what they're going to do with that. So I, despite some of the things that some people are not liking about the early looks. And granted, some people didn't like the artwork, but that early artwork, I mean, it's gone. Like we've gotten constantly updated versions of those characters and yeah. the new ones look much better than the originals. Uh, there are still things I'm, I'm not real sure about, but hopefully after reading the stories, I'll like them more. But they do seem to be, this the, the High Republic idea does seem to be addressing some of what I think we've mentioned as problems. Yeah. And I would love to see them bring in some concepts, not just characters. That's the real thing I would like to see them bring in. I would like to see them, especially if they kind of go the the Jedi are going different directions. I'd love to see them bring in some concepts and some philosophies from this High Republic writing into some of the projects they're going to be working on going forward. Yeah. 
So I'm optimistic. I'm always optimistic about Star Wars. So. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Coruscant Radio Underground. Marisha, where can people find you online? You can find me on my website, princessesandpadawans.com. I am on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore padawans. And I am ppadawans on Twitter, which was originally supposed to be for cosplay, but mostly is just now where I chat with all of my Red 5 friends. All right. I'm Andrew Gore. You can find me running the Twitter account for this show at crew underscore podcast at C-R-U underscore podcast. You can drop us a line at Coruscant Radio Underground at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought about the show. If you have any questions for us, that's the place to drop those. You can check out our show and our other show, the Science Fictionary Podcast at thesciencefictionary.com. You can check out us as well as the rest of our Red 5 podcast family over at the Red over at red5network.com or at red5network on Twitter. And until next time, may the force be with you.